I'm tired And I don't want to write anymore I don't care about the shit Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. My Comic Shop History is a 10-episode podcast event that chronicles the rise and fall of New York comic book store Alternate Realities. Each week, I'll be speaking to past and present owners, customers, and employees about our experiences at the store. This week is a very special episode. It's the only episode not recorded at Alternate Realities. Instead, I'm in Manhattan at the home of Brandon Montclair, a former owner of the store, who went on to enjoy success in the comic book industry as an assistant editor, freelance writer, and independent comic book creator. Brandon, welcome. Hello. I'm the only one in this episode? You are. Just you you and me. I thought I'd be, you know, cut in a little bit here and there to something else you were cooking up. What's the name of our episode? Well, since the the title of your current series is Rocket Girl, I was thinking we might call this one Rocket Man. All right, at least it's not Rocket Girl. That's good. No, you are the Rocket Man. I guess so, right? Uh, So we have a lot of things that I want to talk about. Obviously, you know, we don't see you too often, so this is a chance for us to to catch up. Yeah. Um, But before we we go back to your comic shop history and how Mm -hmm. you got involved with the store and and all of that, um, I just wanted to get your take on the the closing of the store. Um, You know, how'd you find out about it and what was your initial reaction? Uh, Steve had mentioned back in October, I saw him at New York Comic Con, that he was thinking about closing it up. And I think he's said that before, uh, you know, a few times. Um, yeah, once or twice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, it, somewhere in my mind, I don't know that he was more serious about it, but, you know, time kind of going on and, this, you know, this kind of what I know of the story, even though you, you said I'm not there too much often, it, it, had, it had some believability in it. Um, I did think like all other things, he'd just go month to month. He wouldn't sign a big lease. He'd stick around. Um, but that was the first time was in October. And then the announcement uh, in February, which was a surprise, even though, like I said, he had mentioned it. So I don't know. I really heard about it uh, like most uh, like most people did and was very surprised. As far as, again, your role in the store as, as a former owner, is right. there any part of you who's you know concerned about the legacy that you would like it con- to continue because of the fact that you were so involved with it? Um, yeah, I, 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 my, my answer is no, and I think about that. Like, well, you know, you know it, it was great, and I... And I do always take pride because people say, oh, where's the store? Because, you know, a lot of times you say you, you used to own a store. It means like it went out of business. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's somehow your fault. So uh, in a professional setting, not that I just worked at a comic shop, but I owned a comic shop for a long time. I would always add in. And plus, it's still going strong up in, you know, Scars and Alternate Realities. Um, so, yeah, it's like, you know, I, I should have pride and I've taken pride in not just that the store is still there, but you know, whatever Steve has done to keep it going. But in a way it's like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe it's over already for me. So I, I, you know, it's like you said, I don't get up there too often and, and times change. So, um, yeah, it's, so it's weird. I don't know why I don't, you know, maybe it's just some kind of psychological mix up too. I should miss it, but, but I, but I don't, but you know, it, it, it was a success. It was something I'm proud of, uh, you know, helping sustain and helping build, um, but it's time, you know, everyone gets, you know, I moved on 10 years ago, you know, Steve's allowed to move on now, that's for sure, you know. 
the things that keep me away are the practical things. You know, it's like I don't have a car. Uh, I'm never up in Westchester. My father still lives up there. Uh, my wife's parents still live up there. So like Thanksgiving, but maybe not Christmas or, you know what I mean? So uh, I'm not really up there too often in general. But yeah, it's like, eh, it's just, it's weird. It's like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's also the past for me. And I don't, and I, yeah, I don't say, oh, I don't live in the past because then, you know, people say that and it means a million things. But um, yeah, it's, it's not uh, something, yeah, it's like, it's just weird. It's like, it's, it's like, it's the nostalgia, the memories are good, but I don't want to go and kind of live there uh, almost because it hasn't changed. You know what I mean? It's, and I've changed so much. So it's just um, a reminder of, of like a life that I, you know, have moved past, and again, why that bothers me, I don't know. It's not Steve's fault. It's not alternate reality's fault. Uh, it's just how I'm wired, I guess. It's funny. You and you and Bill Mayo are on opposite ends. Bill, of course, is a longtime, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, former yeah. former cut, former employee, right? Uh, who who loves the store more yeah. than maybe just about anybody. And yeah. he, when any you yeah. know, any chance he gets, he's he's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, it, it, it would sound you know pop psychology that I'm, that I'm hiding something or avoiding something. I don't think so. But uh, it's just like, yeah, it's like, you know, I've moved on. My life is so different now. Um, I've been married since I just graduated college. So and now I'm 40. So it's 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 almost, you know, 20 years I've been married. I don't know, 16, 17 years. And people say, oh, you know how that must be hard or you hear that all the time. And it's like, well, it's just I'm a completely different person now than I was at 22. And so is my wife. But just kind of by luck, we remained compatible. Uh I'm a completely different person now than I was at 19, old, owning alternate realities, um, but no longer, <laughs> no longer compatible. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Will you go back to visit one last time before it closes? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I guess you know. And, and Steve and I get along. You know, over the years too, I sometimes think Steve's mad at me. You know, and I'm sure you know Steve's mad at everybody sometimes. So, is it just that, or is it you know, you know, when when the time is right? I don't want to, I don't want to go. Uh, you know, make a big deal out of it, but I'll, I'll tr- I, I'm in my head. I'm going to go and, and hit the store, one you know, one last time. Backing up now a bit, um, how were you first introduced to the store? How did your affiliation with alternate realities begin? Yeah, I was a big fan of comics, and what you would do is just go to every comic book store. Certainly, uh, if a new one opened, and alternate realities was a pretty cool store. Dragon's End was the oldest and and the biggest, and. Steve's store with Gene and Kevin uh, was just a cool little store, and uh, Dragon's End suffered from being like the biggest, that it was a little bit, didn't have a personality, you know? Uh, so I liked, you know, alternate realities a lot. I was working conventions, kind of buying and selling stuff, but, you know, ever since I was a little kid. So at some point, you know, I would split tables with, uh, with the guys at alternate realities, or we would do stuff. Um, and, you know, when they were getting into trouble, I guess after that first year or whenever it was, um, yeah, I, 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 I simply bought in. I, I, Steve and I, I, a couple times I've disagreed on the terms of what I bought in. But as I, as I recall, it was $6,250 for, for, <laughs> for half the store. So, you know, and again, this isn't the 40s, right? So it wasn't a lot of money then and it's not a lot of money now. That's crazy to me. Yeah, right. It and was, how old? Um, how old were you at this point? Uh, Nineteen uh, when I when I bought into the store. Uh, so were you in college or had you not started yet? Uh, no, I was in college. Uh, I was a terrible student in high school, um, but I was working. Like I, 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 I really was. Uh, would do monthly shows and do a lot of comic stuff, and knew Steve 
through that. Um, but I was at Fordham. Uh, I was a very bad, like I said, a very bad uh, student in high school. So I started at night school at Fordham and then transferred into day school. But that would have been after. That's kind of after alternate realities stabilized a little bit. So I'm curious. So you, you know, you buy into the store at a mm-hmm. point where, um, you know, the store is, is struggling. The two of the co-founders are right. are on their way out. So yeah. what, what's kind of, kind of going through your head? Did you just, were you just confident enough that you could turn it around? Yeah, definitely confident. Um, and also, and I believe this today, and I believe it when I was 19, is that chaos is like a good thing, you know? It's because you can get an opportunity. Uh, I worked at DC uh, Comics for a while, and it's the antithesis of chaos. It's always so organized. And it's, you know, you kind of sit and you wait your turn, and then you get your promotion, or you get a new book, or you get somebody to finally let you do something that you wanted to do. Uh, but before I worked at DC, I worked at Tokyo Pop, which was like the Wild West. And nobody, like, you know, there was no, you know, authority wasn't granted. It was assumed you just, I came in charge of submissions just because nobody else was doing it. Um, and kind of at alternate realities that, you know, that's, that's kind of, and at 19, that's why I felt, I mean, it was like, well, you know, the store is full of junk. We owe a lot of money, you know, all the, uh, kind of all the, all the whole industry was suffering though. It wasn't like alternate realities had done anything wrong. It just got sucked up with the implosion. We, we had a plan and we did a lot of work. We just kind of liquidated a lot of stuff, uh, slowly but surely paid off. It was Heroes World Distribution, the main distributor at the time. And however long it took, maybe it was a year, maybe it was nine months, maybe it was a little bit more than a year, um, we would pay, you know, here's our weekly invoice plus a little bit more, just like anybody else trying to pay down a credit card. Um, and I remember like, oh, we are, <laughs> we're finally done. And Steve was talking to the person. So that should bring us uh, even, you know, we were, we're, we're, we've gotten rid of all the debt to the, to the distributor. And the accounts manager said, yeah, you are one of two stores that are, are actually current so that's how bad the business was right and obviously heroes world got snapped up by marvel and led to an even bigger crash um but when you're 19 and you don't have a family to support you know i I don't know steve's perspective at the time he had put a lot of money into it so he had to kind of hold on but for me i was working so i was able to get most of the money i needed to buy in i didn't need a salary to live on so it was it was able to be kind of done and in doing that we did a lot of different things at the time, uh, which were pretty, you know, radical because all these stores that you talk about, you'd walk in and it would be back issues and it'd be wall books and it'd be everything else. But, um, you know, you always make a lot of money on the new stuff. But trade paperbacks, like, you know, we were really one of the first stores that I'd ever even walked into that had like a full line of all the DC backlists and all the Marvel backlists. Back then you could do it. Um, and just kind of switching from hey, wouldn't it be great if you got this next first appearance of Wolverine or something to more of, uh, you know, what you'd call like a blockbuster uh, type of store where it's like, hey, you just come in and you read and it's, and it's geared towards read it, readers and not collectors and, and people who kind of just get their value. You know, they pay $2 for a comics for $2 worth of entertainment, not to put it in a bag and a board. Yeah. I mean, Steve must have had a lot of confidence in you as, I mean, as this 19-year-old kid coming in to, to, you know, go 50-50 with you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, it, you know, it's, I don't know if it was, you know, I like to say, oh, he had confidence in me. Maybe he did, which is great. Uh, I, I wonder now if it was, he figures, well, you know, I'll, I'll be running, doing most of the heavy lifting anyway, or if, you know, if he had other thoughts that he never shared with me. But it was a partnership. And, uh, you know, we both 
worked really hard and, and, and the store did well, you know, so not just, like I said, not just kind of survived, but, but eventually thrived. I think he was 38 and I was 19. So literally twice my age. And now I'm about the age that Steve was when he, uh, you know, he, he bought in. So could I do business with a 19 year old? You know, maybe, you know, I, I kind of stay active with uh, a lot of younger people who are looking to do some kind of internship or, or something with the podcast. So, yeah. That's right. You and well, we can plug your own podcast here. You do a podcast called Podcorn with artist Amy Reader, right? What are yeah, the sort of things yeah. that, that you guys talk about? Uh, just comic stuff. Um, it started. We did a Kickstarter uh, for a creator-owned book we did called Halloween Eve before we did Rocket Girl together, and um, yeah, it was just like a Q and A. We'll we'll do audio for it, then we'll talk about books we liked, and uh, it was a good response, and it's a good way to connect with fans, which is important. You know, it's um, you know. You know, not to, not to jump off the podcast and back into alternate reality so soon, but Steve has such a great set of people who come in, but he doesn't have that kind of internet presence or people who can kind of you know, you know he's not on Twitter, he's the Facebook's kind of weak. But it's so much fun to do the podcast with Amy, and uh, you know, just to interact with the fans and just to kind of even if they're just listening, even if it's not any kind of live back and forth. Uh, you get feedback, you see them at shows or at signings, and you know, you know they're listening or you get, the, you, know, you get them tweeting about it or what have you. And um, yeah, it's really, I mean, it's a, great, it's a great way for outreach and a lot of fun. So Currently, where can people listen to it? Uh, you can go to podcornpodcast.com. Uh, again, we're, we've been switching servers and stuff like that, trying to get the right mix because we're going to kind of relaunch in a big way in May. Uh, but if you go to Podcorn Podcast, it's always, you know, the new episodes are always there. So, I mean, it's funny, you know, before we sat down to record, I was telling you a little bit about one of our former customers who opened his own comic book shop in Yonkers called The Spider's Web. Right. Uh, he'll be a guest on an upcoming episode. Um, but he does a lot of those things that, that Steve doesn't, that you were just discussing. He right. has his own podcast. He is very active on Facebook and Twitter. He, you know, post pictures of customers when they make a big purchase nice, you know he nice. puts it on the facebook page yeah, yeah. and i think it's a good way to to keep people engaged i mean he has three times the number of facebook likes that alternate realities has right even though alternate realities probably has three times the business right right and yeah. has been around for, yeah, for 23 years the yeah, store yeah. is a year yeah. maybe two years old yeah well i mean you know not to go too much on a tangent but you talk about crowdfunding and kickstarter um it's it's people ask me for advice a lot should i do this should i do that um the most important important piece of advice sounds like very cliche but it's like you got to do what you're good at you know uh, you know people want you to talk up in front of the camera and interact with them but if you're really a wallflower and you're just going to be awkward that's not good so you have to find a different way to kind of do, like I said to present yourself and do what you're good at and maybe Steve isn't the type of guy you know to go on you know social media in any sense or to take the picture of the guy in the big purchase um but then you have to, you know, in a story, going back to the first episode of, of, of your podcast, oh, it's not a democracy, but it is. You know what I mean? It's, it's a democracy, not even among owners and, and employees, but also with the fans, also with the publishers. I mean, you know, Steve's in a business where he has an open line to Marvel and DC and Image. You know, it might, you know, might seem, not, may not seem like that all the time, but, you know, he's a big enough store that he can call up and kind of get someone's ear if he really wanted to. He could participate in a lot of different things. Um, so Steve, you know, maybe his his personality is such that he has to be the captain of the ship. It has to be just him. And, you know, 
That's not an easy way to support comic stores anymore. You see the successful stores, they are. They're the kind of the boutique place. People, they're destinations, right? I, I say this a lot, but alternate reality has kind of moved from the collector's hot back issues to Blockbuster, but now it is really like the corner bar, and the success he has is with that core of regular customers like you and everybody else who hangs out, but it has to cast a wider net. You have to have your entire customer base feel that way, at least I think. Um, and you have to, you know, other people's opinions count and what they want to see in the store counts. It can't just be, this is my store. I've been here for 23 years. I'm going to do it my way. But that being said, it's not in Steve's personality to, to be open like that. So, you know, this is maybe what you're seeing the time to move on. Cause I'm sure there's enough business and potential that someone else could take over the store or Steve could take a partner. But, um, you know, it just it it just doesn't happen. You know, uh, and that's that's okay. I mean, Steve's earned the right to do it his way. He's earned the right to close the store. That's kind of uh, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier. It's okay to kind of be done with it, and it's okay to not have to change who you are to you know to make the store a success. Move on and do something else. Jumping off of that that notion of of Steve as the captain, what was the working right. relationship like between the two of you? Oh yeah, I mean he, you know he was never and you know, it <laughs> he was never the leader. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Uh, I don't mean th- to be rebellious or anything else. We were we were definitely uh, at worst equal partners. Um, you know, Steve probably always had the lion's share of hours, so he's in the store and he's kind of you know you know doing that stuff. But as far as trying new things, I think a lot of that did come from me, whether it's, you know, ordering differently or, or, or rearranging the store, which we used to do like once a year or twice a year, you know, the cash register is here, we'll move it to the back, we'll move this to the front, we'll flip it over. I don't know if it's changed at all in the last, uh, <laughs> you guys said, yeah, I mean, Steve doesn't even replace the neon when it breaks, you know? No, I mean, it's, the register, yeah. so right now when you walk into the store, the register is to the right, and that's where, okay. it, where it's been for Yeah, since for since I moved, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, since I moved it there, you know? Um, so, but that's fine. Like I said, it's not, I'm, I'm not saying trying to take any credit for the success. It's just personality. So at the time, you know, Steve was permissive of that. Steve was a little bit more into the idea of a democracy, as he would say, you know, speaking of, you know, your ideas of, again, rearranging the store and, and things along those lines, what are, what are some of your, your business philosophies that you, that you introduced to the store and, and specifically any that might've conflicted with, with Steve's notions? It's, it's going to sound like a criticism of the current, the current thing, way things are, but, you know, trying to get a lot of, um, bigger deals. I think I was more excited about that type of stuff. Um, like say, Hey, let's like, let's, let's go and go into Gundam models and then all of a sudden we have a, a back room full of, you know, Gundam models, but at least it would be a messy back room as opposed to a messy front room. Uh, ca- again, carrying the the graphic novels and just kind of having a place, a destination to be for readers, I think was something that was new to Steve, uh, who, you know, and so maybe that was me being young and having a new idea, but, uh, you know, it, it, we did things together, uh, you know, it, you know, again, focusing on comics and maybe, um, you know, I always try to limit some of the ancillary merchandise like toys and cards and whatnot. Uh, you know, so Steve, you know, in the first half of Alternate Realities was more into working with people. But uh, but by now it's it's he's it's not in his personality to, to do that as much. 
But you tell me, you you're an employee, you know, is it uh you employees always had a lot of latitude, I I figured under every incarnation. You know, did you ever get yelled at for doing something different, you know? Um the closest I think I came to getting yelled at was uh, Steve has a specific way of emptying the garbage. Okay. <laughs> which is, yeah. <laughs> he has the, yeah. the white garbage bags okay. in, in the, each pail. Uh-huh. And then what you're supposed to do is dump out the garbage into a large black bag and keep reusing that white bag. For as, okay. For as long as you can, as long, as long, I guess. Okay, yeah. Whereas my, my inclination would be to just grab the, grab the bag, throw right, it out, right. and, and, and replace it. Right. So yeah, it definitely has uh, specific <laughs> specific ways of doing things, yeah. even down to the garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and again, you know, people again, people change. So I think he was a little more liberal in his, in the early years of alternate realities. He w- he's able to set aside his personality sometimes, but not others. I, I don't know. I don't know how to unlock that mystery. Um, you know, except to say that you know, again, I sound critical, but Steve's ran that business for for twenty three years, and it's been a success. And other stores have failed. And Steve is smarter than 99% of the other retailers out there and has always made good decisions and has always been conservative and has always, you know, not done something too crazy or something, you know, you know, you know, his bad ideas are about about garbage bags. You know, it's not about, you know, maybe overorder stuff like anybody else. Um, but, uh, you know, nothing that, that has, has ever handicapped the store. I mean, you know, reading that announcement and as much blame as he did put on reservists who don't pick up uh, their stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's that he looks at that as a negative is, is very Steve because I mean, just think of the mathematics of it, right? You have uh, maybe 200 pull list customers. Um, comics are, you get a 50% discount, right? So, you know, for every hundred dollars you spend, you're getting two hundred dollars worth of, of of retail back. Basically, I mean, there's obviously other things you factor in. So, if you have two hundred pull list customers that are that you're doubling your money on every week, and you have three or four bad ones, that's still a, a tremendous a tremendous asset. And he looked at it as a problem. You know what I mean? And you know, and should he curb special orders of this, that maybe or maybe not. But it's a it's a personal affront to him. It, it it hurts the business, but not in a big way. I mean, if you take, you know, it's like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. You, 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 you know, the pull lists, that's always a problem, people who kind of abandon their list. But if it's only 5 or 10%, and, it's, and I can't imagine it was ever that high, because then your pull list would be gone in, you know, a year, right? Uh, that you have, that you're doubling your money, on these 200 accounts, and if the bad part of that is a couple of people burn you, like a couple meaning two, well, what difference does it make? It's a, it's a huge success. You know, it's, it, but Steve takes it personally, and it makes him angry. And again, people are human, and what affects them affects them. It's not right to, to say, pull something and not do it. But it's, it's, it's the offense that's, that's the problem. It's not the, it's not the business model, you know? Um, Steve's like that, you know, Steve, and Steve, a part of Steve doesn't like to lose, you know, uh, in a sense. Again, you could order, um, you know, 100, uh, 100 copies of Watchmen that retails at 20 bucks and you're paying 10 bucks a pop and you could sell 99 of them, right? And so you've made, you've almost doubled your money, but for that one, you've made so much money. And then he has the one that's left over right now. Suppose demand for Watchmen completely evaporated. He, if he sold that one for nine dollars instead of the ten, he'd lose sleep over it because he lost a dollar 
on that one copy that's left over, but not looking at the entire transaction of being, well, you sold 99, you've doubled your money already, you've got to liquidate. That's why he puts stuff in storage rather than get rid of it. And then you start, you know, you should start calculating storage costs and everything else. But uh, Steve looks at it as kind of, oh, you know, why should I give it away now? It'll be worth money one day or why do it? And, you know, it's it's kind of, it's, I mean, I, I got to imagine it's more of a personal thing than it's actual, uh, an, an, an analysis of a way to do business. Very much so. And, you know, it's interesting. Everyone asks now, oh, what is Steve going to do that, that the store is closing? Right. His, his current plan is to um, move whatever stock is left at the end of June right. to storage and to sell it piece by piece on eBay. Right. And he's very specific that he, you know, he, he has started to have some discounts at the store, but he's not planning to really discount things too much because, again, his feeling is people didn't buy this before. Right. I'm not going to sell it to them cheaper now. And so he would rather, <laughs> yeah. you know, spend the, the time and money to store these things and, and sell them on eBay, where at, at best he's selling them at a discount. I mean, some of these things might not even move, and if they do, it's certainly not going to be for, for full retail. Yeah, exactly. And and it's, it's just not the way that the business is anymore. There's so much new product. You can't have the attitude anymore where I'm just going to sit on it and wait to get my price because you know, the realities of the business have changed. So the value of that overstock is, is really less than it's ever been. Like, you know, you say, you know, you drive a car off the lot and it's worth half what you just paid for it. Uh, comics, there's like, there's no, there's no such thing as kind of this valuable backstock that eventually somebody will want, uh, to kind of believe in that is to believe in the collector's thing. Well, I'm not going to blow these quarter, these books out for a quarter because maybe someday, Someone's going to really care about the first appearance of, you know, Shotgun and Punisher number six or something stupid like that. So I might as well hold on to it. This is just old product, like you know, like like old, you know, eight tracks or something. It's 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 got very little kind of value. But and to me, you know, you got to start calculating the cost of storing the stuff and everything else. But speaking you know, of calculating, yeah. AR Legend has it that you once calculated how much how much it cost for an action figure to occupy its space on the wall. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not I didn't invent that, you know. There's a lot of retail principles about uh, you know, sales velocity and turnover and how much you could do it, but you know, again, we talk about a Watchmen trade paperback or Dark Knight Returns trade paperback and you're getting 50% off. So it's a $20 book you're paying 10 for. Uh Figures aren't that nice. You don't get the same discount. Uh, you get the $20 deluxe DC action figures costing you 13 so already you're paying more money for it. Shelf space costs money, right? Everything costs money. If you have the right side of the store is new comics and, and trade paperbacks when you walk in. Well, that half of the store is costing the same amount of rent as the left-hand part of the store. So if you look at hey, this one trade paperback with maybe full face, full facing takes up the same amount of space as a trade paperback. I mean, excuse me, as an action figure. Okay, well, here's the comic. We've sold, you know, 100 issues of this every week, and then we replace it with the next issue, and that sells. And you have so much turnover that that one little space on your wall is making you X dollars. And then you look and the, at the action figures collecting dust on the other side of the wall, which have less of a discount. And you say, carrying action figures in that type of store with the rent as high as it is in in Scarsdale, New York, you're losing money. And I think I did work out the calculation to it. And it's, you know, it's easier than you think because you, you know, you just do wall space, you know, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what the reaction was. I don't remember. You tell me. You say it's legendary because I was, I was so right <laughs> or I was so goofy and people don't, uh, people thought I had two heads. No, 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 um, the former. 
Yeah, and it was. It really was that you you know. Yeah, it's like to to carry that stuff is you're losing money. To to Steve doesn't want to lose money on a statue, so he's going to put it in storage forever. Well, you're paying money on that storage. You know, you're you're probably better off liquidating it and you know freeing up cash flow. That's one. It's one of the reasons I kind of left though. As as much as I appreciated those kind of uh, business philosophies, not to sound so highfalutin, but Alter reality has kind of hit its head on the ceiling of, of the most you could kind of do, not as a small business, but as a mom and pop type business, you know, um, where it's like, okay, we, we, we get this much product in and we sell that much product. Um, we started to get tastes of making real money and kind of upping cash flow with Pokemon and with a couple of other import stuff that we we're doing really well with wholesaling to other stores and also selling through alternate realities. But it really became like, well, you know, the only way to really get better is to is to, to think more about financing, to think more about upping cash flow, to open up more stores and run it kind of more like a like a like a like a Wall Street guy would run a business. It doesn't matter what you're selling, you know. It's it's kind of upping the numbers and generating cash, which uh, you know, in a way wasn't interesting, in a way was kind of scary, because maybe I was in my mid twenties. And so one of the reasons I left is because it was just like, yeah, that was kind of what I saw on the wall is the only way you can make alternate realities better was to start really thinking about different ways of financing uh, stuff and, and, and changing the way you do business and how you're going to pull out your profits from not just selling a book, but also, like I said, having a revenue stream, having cash flow. I don't know what Steve's bottom line is now. Obviously, if he was making millions of dollars, he would still be in business or uh, someone else would, you know, you'd, you'd make a buyout work. Uh, that being said, you know, there's so much opportunity in Westchester and I look at it, wow, what does it mean for comics that that kind of market is going to have this one store that, that really is the only store worth going to and then, you know, in, in an entire market is just kind of closing up shop and then, oh, I'll sell the overstock on eBay. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't even look at it as a reflection of alternate realities. It, I, I worry about it as a reflection of the health of the comics business. You know, but then you look at the comics and you say, well, look at the movie theaters and everyone's looking for Avengers and everything else. So it's like, well, you know, people still want the characters in a big way, but comics, it's tough. So. When you sold out that, that final time, right. was there any part of you that thought, oh, maybe I'll come back at some point? Or did you know at, at, that, at that point that that was it? At that point, you know, I, I disagreed with, with how Steve had treated not just me, but his partners. I, you know, not like... I wasn't angry, you know. Uh, I just thought it was like, you know, for all the things that we've always been through, um, you know, all right, Steve, you're upset. So you're upset. Let's talk about being upset. Uh, you don't have to kind of, you know, be so angry that you're saying, agreeing to do one thing and then doing another. Or if you feel that you're being kind of taken for granted or that you should, you know, be given more latitude, you know, kind of let's talk about it. You know, and I don't mean just between he and I, uh, you know, between the whole group. And so the fact that Steve was having none of that, it was kind of like, again, not angry, but you throw your hands up. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, Steve, you're going to be that way. You know what? It really is Steve's store. It's always been Steve's store. Um, if that's the way you want it, that's the way you're going to do it. So I certainly at that point didn't think I'd ever uh, come back in again. And I... <laughs> And I didn't. But, you know, I think at that point, Steve probably said and said, I'm never going to work with a partner again. And he hasn't. And he hasn't. Know? Yeah. So, um, you know, there was some 
a small degree of personal conflict, but you know everything's forgivable. You know, I don't know. You know, Rich Roney says that uh, Steve never forgets, and Steve says Steve never forgets, and it's true. But I think almost everybody has has been forgiven for you know whatever they've done. I'm sure it's, there are some people who are dead to Steve, but yeah, most people have come back from yeah, the dead exactly. at least once. Exactly. Well, the Odoisms are new. I don't know if uh, there were no Odoisms. He adopted those later. There were no Odoisms in. In, in 1996, as far I as I know. I think we kind of egged him on yeah. a, a little bit. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> or a there lot. You there you go. Uh, if you were to own a store today, not even necessarily alternate realities, but right. if you were to own a comic book shop, or even if someone just came to you for advice, um, in light of the changes that the industry has, has undergone, what, what, sort of, uh, you know, what sort of advice would you give? You, you have to make it a destination. You have to make it a, a fun place for everybody to go to not just your idea of uh, a place that it is. Um, not because, you know, you're wrong or not because there's a better way or just you need you need that much traffic, you know. You need to have artists come in. You need to have people, um, you know, really feel invested. You have to have great employees. It's, it's, it's kind of all the basic stuff. But people love comics so much that you'll get somebody good at 10 bucks an hour or 15 bucks an hour to really be an advocate for comics, you have to read everything. I mean, so many times I hear like these curmudgeonly creators too. Oh, I don't have time to read comics anymore. You have to know, you know, why people like, you know, Saga and, and everything else down the road. And to keep people excited, you have to be a constant cheerleader uh, for stuff. Um, and yeah, it's like kind of like the, it's, the, it's the marketing that goes on within your store is, um, you know, is is overlooked in a lot of places but you see the successful places that's what they're doing and that's really what's happening it's it's the big stores are getting bigger and the smaller stores are are, are now suffering it's engaging with um uh creators and publishers and publishers are i mean valiant will do outreach image will do outreach dc will still do outreach marvel's a little bit tough but um you know you you can't be the downer, oh, they're going to, you know, I hate digital comics or I hate relaunches or I hate anything else. You have to focus on what you like and what other people like and just be a super cheerleader because people love comics. I mean, people like walking. I mean, I, I live two blocks from Forbidden Planet, and which does business 100% the right way. And, you know, a lot of T-shirts, a lot of those, uh, what are those big head things, those... uh not bobbleheads, but... Oh, those pop figures? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I love those. <laughs> exactly. See, everyone does. And you say, oh, it's a great gift. Oh, even if you, you don't know anybody, oh, but he liked Star Wars, or he liked Guardians of the Galaxy, or he liked Wizard of Oz, so I can get this little Tin Man one, and he can put it on his desk. Uh, T-shirts and merchandise. It's um, it's kind of going back to that, where you just have to be... You know, I hate to say it, a pop culture experience, but that's why conventions are doing so well, too. It's uh, people want to be a part of the community. They want to be able to talk to me and Amy Reader on Twitter, and, and they can. So you have to be facilitating that as a store, I think. It's really it's really interesting to talk to you about a lot of this because a lot of the things that you've identified um, make me feel that maybe this is the right time for Steve to step away because, right. again, he's... You know, he does use Facebook, but it's usually to, you know, blast the customer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even as far as, you know, making the store a destination, I mean, certainly for his hardcore regular group of customers, it is. And for those of us who are part of the community and we go out to dinner, it is. But even for us, I mean, we don't necessarily find the store 
always a, a pleasant place to be. I mean, it, it, it is very messy and cluttered. And, you know, Steve and I talked about this on the first episode. He, you know, that doesn't bother him. He right. considers that clutter to be, you know, you know, discovery, you know, an opportunity for discovery. But I always, I do question if, um, you know, a, a young person comes in or a female customer comes in. Right how, you know, how, how would they take it in? You know, yeah. is, is it somewhere that they would consider a destination and want to go all the time? Yeah. And it, but it goes back to what I was kind of saying before you, you can't fake it, you know, and certainly, certainly not, you know, when you're 60 years old and you've worked a hundred hours a week for the last 23 years. I mean, you know, why should he, Steve have to fake it? Um, you know, he's perfectly happy closing up. You know, he's not, he's not, saying, oh, my God, I wish I didn't have to. He's, he's ready to move on. It's not, it's not Steve's fault. And I, th- I think Steve recognizes he could do things differently but, but doesn't want to, and he's, and he's very happy with his business model. Um, and, again, the business model isn't, you know, time's passed it by. I guess you could say it that way. Maybe Westchester's passed it by. Maybe, like I said, the, these rents have, have kind of passed it by. Um, and if Steve was 19 buying in like I was, maybe he'd have more energy to try to reinvent a way to make it work where you can have that kind of dirty boxes and treasures that you find. Steve could change if he had. You put a gun to his head. Like I said, Steve's smarter than almost anybody else out there. Uh, you put Steve on a desert island, and the only way you can survive is by making a comic shop. I'd pick Steve over a lot of other people. Uh, you know, except for the fact that Steve might, you know, just wander off into the into the uh, into the surf, right, and just kind of end it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, you know, if Steve had to, you know, uh, be compelled to be a success, I would take Steve over almost anybody that I've met in this business who owns a shop. You know, so you occupy a unique space within our cast at Alternate Realities in that you left the store and you went on to have these these different roles within the comic book industry, which I think is something that a lot of us and comic book fans in general, you know, might aspire to. So I guess first, what are some of the different roles that you've had um, on, on that side of the industry? Um, I was very involved with conventions, always going to conventions and always a big fan. So I came back to New York and I met with Bob Shrek, who I knew at conventions, I said, can I just come and pick your brain because I'm going to be moving back and I'm interested in an editorial position. So can I get the, you know, can I get the temperature of what it's like at DC at the time? And he said, sure, come on by, we'll talk. And just during that meeting, he says, well, I have an opening and I, and I want you to have it. And they had something like 200 applications at DC and I got the offer. Um, and then I decided to work at DC where I worked, just because I worked with Bob Shrek on some great stuff like uh, All-Star Superman and Batman Year 100. I worked on the regular Bat Office stuff. Uh, moved up to Vertigo, worked on Hellblazer, worked on Sweet Tooth was the first editor, worked with Lemire and stuff like that. Um, and that was great. And DC is, like a, again, it wasn't the Wild West. It was very rigid. They say DC is a good place to end a career, not to start it. Uh, not in a negative way, like you get fired, but like you know, once you're established, that's the place to be because... Uh, they treat their employees very well. There's not a lot of stress. You have tons of resources um, because DC Comics only cared about, you know, making comic books because the Superman lunchboxes and the Batman cartoon and everything else made so much money for Warner Brothers that they just left comics alone at the time. That's that's changed a little bit in the last couple of years. So, you know, just hitting my head and not, you know, I had too many books um, that I was editor of for my position. So like, well, we have to we have to promote you if you're edit- editing six books, which I was doing, or four books, whatever it was. Uh, but we can't promote you because there was a, a hiring freeze at the time because there was a transition. 
my daughter was about a year old. I said, oh, you know, I don't, you know, my wife's on tenure track and that should work out. Um, what do I need to say here at DC working nine to five? Um, let me kind of go off and enjoy the freelance life. And I've, you know, I've written a few things now and uh, work on a book called Rocket Girl for Image, which is doing well, and uh, another Image book coming out at the end of this year and some odds and ends. So, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's that's about it. I, that's it's it's a long way of putting it. But I've done just about everything, right? So. And what so what did your duties involve as an assistant editor at DC? What does an assistant editor do? Um, you, well, I mean, it sounds corny, but you assist. Um, <laughs> when I was there, they had gone from teams to to uh, like it'd be an editorial group, uh, and then DC. Literally, the day I got there wasn't because of me. It was just because when I got there, the the math worked out. They they split into two person teams, senior. And junior man, basically, which was really interesting because, like, especially working for Shrek, it was all good stuff. And instead of being one of like three or four editors on in the bat office as a junior person, it was just me and Shrek, and we'd sit together and we'd and we'd see what we wanted to do. And after I left, they kind of went back to that thing, that system as well. But um, it's it's um, it's not correcting things. People think, oh, you know, you have to, you know, you're you're doing hard editing, like correcting how. Biff, Pam, and Bauer are spent. It's hiring the right people. Uh, it's it's managing talent. It's kind of man, man, it's brand management in the sense if you're working on Batman or something like that. Like wh- what are the goals of the publisher um, and make sure that those kind of don't get derailed as it's gone. But you know it's 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 hiring artists and writers and making sure you kind of get the best out of them. Uh, learning about what makes them tick to motivate them. Some need the carrot. Some need the stick. Um, putting out good stuff and you're also as an editor you're the you're the hub for absolutely everybody um, anything that needs to go to the creators goes through you but if marketing needs art they're going to come to you if uh, sales wants information they're going to come to you if publicity is saying oh you know we have to you know coordinate you know, or or even you're just going to publicity saying listen I have this person available for an interview uh, so you touch just about everything uh, being an editor which is very much the same as you know owning a small business. I think it was owning alternate reality was a lot. You you do everything. You know, like I said, you take out the garbage, you ring customers up, you do the orders, um, you, you do every a bit of everything. You're the go-to person as an editor, but it's basically just working with talent. It's talent management, and uh, you know, making sure uh, you know pages go from the penciler to the inker to the colorist and et cetera. Hopefully on time. Speaking of talent management, I know there were a few people who you discovered and or nurtured a bit. I mean, do you want to talk about some of those some of those finds of yours? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's how you measure success. Um, and it's and I, I don't want to and, and I'm always very careful to say that I don't take credit for Amy Reader's success. Um, she did her part, which was knocked it out of the park. You know, I did my part, which is said sent her up to the plate. You know, to use baseball, uh, but. Uh, worked with Jeff Lemire on his kind of first mainstream stuff. Amy Reader, who I work with now, big artist. Shane Davis uh, kind of had his first regular gig working with him. And some of the most fun is working with people who you don't do anything with, like working with uh, Frank Whiteley, uh, who's become, you know, who I'm friendly with. It's it's just great. You know, you don't tell him how to draw. Uh, you wish you could tell him to get the stuff in on time, but that doesn't really work either. So it's just, it's just having a relationship with people and trying to keep them motivated and happy in your little part but again, you're just along for the ride. Like All Star Superman, a brilliant book. There was no editing done. You know, there's nothing changed. There's hardly any. You know, I mean, I can I can literally think of one or two little things that didn't translate because Grant is Scottish instead of American, and 
like you know like saying like changing a half of a balloon but just so much fun to work on so much fun to see the script come the plot coming in the script coming in the rough art coming in the finished art the final dialogue and to be you know on a book that that's I don't know I know you're a Superman fan I don't know if you like All Star or not I did yeah yeah uh, I could go on all day I loved editing hope to edit again um, love editing at DC because you can pay people you know um, good rate so you can get the best or you can get uh, somebody young but it's actually going to be kind of their first professional gig um, and it's great to work on and to me that's like the ultimate fan thing it's it's almost like saying you know wouldn't it be great if Wolverine fought Black Panther right well wouldn't it be great if you had um, you know Frank Miller write something and, and Jim Lee draw it or however it comes down that editing you have to be in an office 9 to 5 kind of worked against me but also just like I said at the time you know, things were just so clogged at DC. It was just it was just time to leave and, and kind of move on. Well, had you stayed, then you would have been faced with the prospect of moving to California. Yeah, right. If I had stayed, you know, till now. So, so there you go. I'm sure people probably ask and have asked you this all the time. But when when people come to you and ask, how do I break into the comic book industry? What is what do you normally tell them? Uh, you just you know what I normally tell them is luckily it's not rocket science, right? So if you really want to break into comics, you probably will. You know, you might not be the next Neil Gaiman if that's what you want. But, you know, if 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 you want to work, a lot of people want to break, break in as editor. And that's, you know, uh, if they want to work at Marvel or DC, you want to work in editorial. But maybe you'll work in marketing. Maybe you'll work in legal. Maybe you can work anyplace else. And you can still be part of the comics business. And the comics business is so small that even if you're doing contracts, you're actually an important part uh, of the comics business. But if you want to be on the creative side, uh, you know, most people, that, that desire only stays with them if they actually have kind of the talent to, to, to ultimately make it. But, you know, you have to be patient. It might take three years. It might take five years. It might take more than that. But if you're, you know, the, it's just perseverance, really, because it's, um, you know, people will help you, right? Because everyone who's in the comics business had somebody help them get in. So there are a few assholes out there, but um, for the most part, it's, uh, you know, people will help and people will kind of open the door for you and people will say, okay, I'm going to give you a chance or I'll, I'll stick up for you. But it just takes time and obviously you got to get better. It depends on, you know what, if you want to be a writer or if you want to be a, on the creative side. Your craft has to be there, but you also have to network. You also have to kind of become a student of the business, right? You can't just say, oh, I want to draw, give me a job. You have to understand you just have to start reading a lot of comics and say, oh, this editor kind of matches what I do or this publisher kind of matches what I do. You, you find where you fit. And then, um, you know, you just, you know, you network online, you network at conventions because what people really are surprised at is that you're going to be hired because somebody wants to work with you, not because you have a good idea. And I'll explain that. It's not, you're not going to get your first gig because you're a writer and you had the best idea for Hawkman that anyone's ever heard. So here is your Hawkman series. Go for it. You're going to be somebody who you hung out with at conventions. Maybe you did some self-publishing. Maybe you worked for a smaller publisher. Uh, you could talk about the Hawkman and the editor could think, wow, that's the greatest Hawkman idea I've ever heard. But then in the back of the editor says, well, you know, Hawkman, he's doing this other thing. This other creator has him. Who knows? Who blah, blah, blah. The first gig you're going to get is an assignment. It's going to be... Um, like I said, it wasn't the first thing published, but the first gig I got from Marvel was an eight-page backup with Korg. And I said, and they said, hey, we're doing, uh, it's Hulk, and we're doing all the different monsters in Hulk, and you get, you know, and I need someone to do an eight-pager on Korg. 
I said, that sounds awesome. And I didn't, I didn't even know who El Korg was. It's <laughs> like, you know, it's like the, it's like the actor. Do you know how to ride a horse? Yeah. Korg is, uh, was an alien who was, uh, he looks kind of like the thing and was in journey into mystery. The first Thor, he was the one that, like one of the aliens that fought all that. So I said, oh, that's cool. So I'll come up with an eight page story. Um, I didn't pitch Chaos King that I did with Kaluta. I just they said that we need a Chaos King story. So your your early gigs are going to be. I want to give Brandon a chance. I want to give Anthony a chance. I want to give Jane Doe a chance. So where can I put them? You know. And so you just have to kind of network and be ready. Also, meeting people in the business, even more important throughout your career, are your peers. You have really good relationships with because you all kind of rise together. And if somebody rises a little faster, maybe it's the first time saying, oh, you know what? I can't take that Hawkman gig. I'm too busy. But you should give it to my friend Brandon, who's really good and looking for more work. And um, so you really kind of, you really have to network with your with your own, like I said, your own kind of level in the business. Not your own age group, because everyone's different ages, but that kind of, your own experience level. Um, and those are, I think, you know, when you look at it, you know, I've been able to observe it now, being in it long enough. And yeah, I mean, the pre, you know, people who are important to people who've been in the business for 30 years are, are people who've been with them the entire time. So, um, so as we've touched on, you moved on to the, to the writing side. Right. Was, was that something that you always wanted to do or was that a function <laughs> of, of seeing all these no, scripts and, yeah, and thinking you wanted no. to try your hand at it? <sighs> yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong. A lot of people join edit- editorial with a goal to get onto the creative side. And it really is a great experience. Cliff Chang. Uh, as an artist, it, you know, tons of writers have done it. It's perfectly legitimate. Um, now, it's funny because I never, I always was just loved editing so much, and that's all I wanted to do. Um, I was kind of simpatico with uh, Bob Shrek on that. It's like, no, I really, you know, I'm not here trying to get a stepping stone so one day I can, you know, be lucky enough to write the next issue of, uh, you know, Suicide Squad or something ridiculous. Um, it, I, I loved editing so much. Uh, it was just a matter of going freelance. So I never had that kind of burning desire where I had to write, where I have to write to kind of clear my head. It, it's, I, I kind of approach it in a technical way, um, much like I would working on alternate realities. You know? I want to talk about Rocket Girl specifically. Cool. Um, so, so how did this project come to be? Kickstarter was kind of new, and we did uh, this book called Halloween Eve by the seat of our pants, but Image picked it up quick and was also able to publish it, so... Because that had done well, we were looking to do something now more longer form, and we want to do it with image, and et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, we went through a lot of ideas, um, uh, and Amy wasn't digging any of them uh, until, Rock, you know, and I, and I used Rocket Girl. I'm like, oh, you can't just do a book and call it Rocket Girl, meaning I was trying to think of, like, you can't just have a concept. It's not like we have the luxury of doing Spider-Man where you're going to have 100 issues that came before you and a hundred issues that come after you and the kind of characters already set. It has to be something that people can kind of understand and the story behind it. It can't just be Batman or Wonder Woman or Rocket Girl. And then Amy, in her way, is like, oh, Rocket Girl, what's that? And it, was, it wasn't anything. It was just kind of a generic superhero-y, comic book-y sounding uh, word. And, you know, not the way you usually create something, but, we're, we're, but we were able to reverse engineer a story behind it. It's about a teenage cop who goes uh, back in time from the future to New York in the mid-'80s to solve a crime uh, by this corporation that's kind of been messing with the time stream. which is Crimes against time. Crimes against time, which is, you know, obviously 
not the first time that kind of story has been told. Uh, the twist of it is that what she comes from is the present day, right? Uh, it started in 2013, but she comes from 2015 that has flying uh, cops and teens uh, with laser guns and jetpacks and everything else. So uh, what happened to the time? Like, why are we living in the world we're in today when we're supposed to have this kind of 80s vision of the future that you got in Blade Runner or in Akira or in Back to the Future, right? Which I think is this year, right? Back to the Future just kind of passed where it's like right. Back to the Future 2 came and it's like, hey, how come we don't have the hoverboards and everything else? Uh, so that's kind of the, the impetus of it. But yeah, so something I always wanted to do was kind of an 80s period piece and I knew Amy would, would eat that up. The image model, you own everything, you know, and uh, you just pay a little bit of a fee to cover solicitation. You pay your printing bill and, you know, you own the rest of it. But Amy and I make more money on Rocket Girl on an issue of Rocket Girl than she did on Batwoman, than I do on the Hulk, you know? Um, and that's amazing uh, because, you know, we're not, Rocket Girl's not the top seller. We're not the top talent necessarily working at Image or anyplace else. But, you know, the way we kind of set it up was with the Kickstarter, with how well Image was doing, we said, well, we could probably make about two-thirds of our rate and do it and own everything. And I think anybody in the world who can make two-thirds of their DC rate but then do something that they want to do their own book would jump at the opportunity. But we kind of blew that, you know, we blew that number out of the water and, are, like I said, making a lot more money now. As I said before we sat down, I, uh, I just read the first arc and really enjoyed it. Um, fun. Thank you. Fast-paced, uh, humorous. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a really good time. And I, the listenership for this podcast is a fraction of yours. But uh, yeah. for those who are listening, I mean, I really hope you do uh, check out Rocket Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's like I said, it's a blast to work on. Uh, it's so much fun to be able to work in comics. You, you know, it's, uh, you know, everyone's living the dream if you're doing this stuff. And like I said, for alternate realities, I guess it's, uh, you know, what, what is the dreams a nightmare? I don't know. You know, is Steve that unhappy doing it for 23 years? Again, he's got to be getting, he's got to be getting his kicks also, right? I'll, I'll end with a qualification. Anytime in this interview that I sounded critical, it's, you know, I'm not I'm not there every day. I don't know what's happened. I haven't been there in a long time. But uh, you know, it was it was a huge part of so many people's lives. It's a huge part of Rocket Girl, as silly as that sounds. Uh, but it's uh, you know, I'm sure you would agree that's been a more than a you know more than a a, a small part of your life. And uh, you know, it's always been Steve's story. Even though I was own, an owner there, even though I take pride in what I've done, he's it's always been you know it's always been a reflection of Steve. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens next, right? What's he going to do with the uh, website? What's he going to do with alternatorealities.com? Is he going to keep it? Is he going to keep the domain? I think he's I think he's going to keep it. I mean, he's nice. spoken about, um, you know, selling, I mean, obviously on eBay, but also selling at conventions. So yeah. I, think, I think the intention is to keep the AR name going in right. some way, shape, or form. And what are the, what are the, what, do you get any feedback from the, what are the readers going to do? Are they going to, you know... They're gonna go to Yonkers. They're gonna wait till they're in the city. They're gonna go uh, digital. You know, I don't mail know. Order. I yeah. don't know. I mean, I'm not there on you know a regular basis anymore. I mean, right. Steve has told me um, that a number of them have said that they would they would quit comics um, right. in part because of the store closing as well as the you know current changes at you know DC and Marvel, both of them undergoing right. uh, reboots or, or nah. things along those lines. <laughs> Whether or not they you know these readers will actually follow through with that i don't know i mean i'm yeah. sure i'm sure as with anything 
it'll be a mix. Some might not read anymore. Some might mm. find a new store. Some might order trades on Amazon. You know, I, I think it'll be a mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that's just, it's, it's a shame for comics because, you know, Steve does decent business, I'm sure, still. You know, I haven't looked at his numbers in a long time. He doesn't order a lot of Rocket Girl, but what are you going to do? Um, uh, you know, it's it's crazy because people who have looked into these things, that's, they, that is a phenomenon. When stores close, people just stop collecting and when new stores open, people just start. You know what I mean? It's not like they necessarily cannibalize. That was one of the incentives for opening a new store, that it, it, it seems to be that new stores generate new customers. So, Well, it's been a blast chatting with yeah, you. Yeah, we don't get to talk too often, so this has really been great. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You are our celebrity guest. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's, I'm the best that all the realities can do. No, not at all. We're honored. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I hope that they're, you know, fans of rocket girl out there or other things that you've written who you know might tune in to to hear from you yeah yeah, yeah no that, absolutely and like i said it's always fun uh, always doing this stuff we'll have to have you on uh on podcorn uh when we're when we're fully live and and so keep a keep a wednesday night you know free oh i'd be honored okay cool so well once again thank you very much for being yeah, on the show yes yeah a lot of fun all right, thank you, Brandon. Uh, to those who have listened, thank you for checking out this episode of My Comic Shop History. Be sure to tune in for future episodes. Don't be a flat squirrel. I don't